So if you think about all of the things that have happened this year, there's no playbook on how to deal with COVID. Part of what we have to be able to do as leaders is learn as we're going, experiment, learn, and then pivot the business. So the improved learning is really critical towards sustainability and, and success in this environment. Lower absenteeism from work due to sickness. Resilient organizations tend to be more inclusive. That diversity becomes a source for innovation. And resilient organizations tend to be better equipped to adopt an agile approach to their work. So there's a lot of benefits here of developing resilience, both personally as well as professionally. Volatility, uncertainty, complexity. This is the work environment that is our reality. What will leaders need to know to be successful in the future? Who will they need to be to build team member commitment? How will they need to show up to create a motivating environment for their people? Welcome to the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast, a dialogue about how leaders will need to adapt to be successful in a rapidly changing world. And now, please join your host and executive producer, Sal Sylvester, to engage in the conversation about the future of leadership and how to transform people into confident leaders. Hello, and welcome to season three of Sal Sylvester on the future of leadership. I am Sal Sylvester, your host and founder and CEO of 512 Solutions, an executive coaching and leadership development firm based here in Boulder, Colorado. Our mission is to help organizations create healthy, aligned, and more human workplaces. I'm also the founder and CEO of Coach Metrics, a cloud-based tool we developed to help measure behavioral change in coaching and leadership development. Thanks for joining me today to talk about the future of leadership. It's hard to believe that it's already March. I hope your 2021 has started with intention and purpose. Season three of this podcast has been what we've called the bounce back season. It's been focused entirely on resilience. And this season has been about building the capacity for resilience so that you can deal with the complexity the uncertainty, and the volatility that is our world. In our last episode, we released our goal-setting masterclass where we walked our listeners through a five-step process for creating goals for the new year. We know that resilient people have clear goals. So this was an important episode. It was also accompanied by our newly revised 39-page ultimate goal-setting guide. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that episode, and you want to create a plan for the year that will not only help you build resilience, but also help you emerge stronger, go check that out. And don't forget to go out to our website to download that ultimate goal setting guide to accompany the episode. Today's episode is also a release of one of our recent masterclasses. It's on strategies to build resilience. So today you're going to learn about the four key choices that resilient leaders make when the unexpected happens. Again, to get the most out of this episode, go out to our website, 512solutions.com. That's the numbers 512solutions.com. And on this episode's page, you'll be able to download the Resil Toolkit. It's a toolkit. It's absolutely free. And it will help you walk through each of the choices that I'll outline in the episode today and help you go a little bit deeper and really set up your 2021 for success. I hope you get a ton out of this episode and let me know how it goes. All right, let's get started. 
We have all been through so much in the last six, nine months. For me, the defining date was March 9th. I was supposed to fly out to Orlando, Florida to work with about 65 leaders from a tech company in Minneapolis. And we got a call from the CEO about the morning of November 9th and said, no, we're not flying. And that was the day when this whole COVID thing really kind of hit home and started to become real for me. And it was really the first time in my life, certainly, that I've seen empty shelves on stores and people clamoring for things like toilet paper and other items that were just unbelievable. But part of what it also showed me is the suffering that so many people have been through over the last six or nine months to the likes that I've never seen in the past. And this whole concept of social distancing that's come up, it's been the opposite of what's our most deepest and important human need of connection, connecting with people. And uh, we've all found ourselves in various situations working from home. I know as I, as I look through the, the doors in my home office here, my seven-year-old is, sometimes he's in gym class and I just can't even imagine teaching a first grader online, but we find ourselves balancing so many personal things that we haven't had to maybe balance at the level and intensity that we've had in this environment from kids at home to homeschooling and maybe elderly parents or people that you're also responsible taking care of. And we've seen such a divisive political environment, not just in the United States, but as a global trend. And we're still going through that. And for folks that are in Boulder and other parts of Colorado and certainly Oregon and California, and we've seen a variety of different climate events that have just layered onto the, the level of stress that people are feeling. And then, of course, there are the COVID cuts. My wife has become my number one barber here over the last seven or eight months, and I used to have hair before this whole thing began. And now uh, it's we're doing it at home. So there's been a lot going on. What are the words that describe how you feel today? What are some words that describe what emotions you might have been experiencing here over the last, I don't know, three, six months? Challenged, worried, hopeful, freedom, stretched, frustration, fatigued, what we're finding is we've asked this question probably a dozen times tired, at least in the last 30 to 60 days. We're seeing really a mix of emotion here, this sense of overwhelm or exhaustion, a sense of people being tired or worried or anxious. And it's also coupled with a different emotion of hope and freedom and a sense of looking forward to something that, that might be coming. There's some interesting data that's come out. Some of you may have seen this or, or been tracking this, especially in your roles in HR and across different corporate environments. The U.S. Census Bureau has been surveying the United States population over the last several months just about their mental health and their well-being. And the percentage of people that have been feeling down, depressed, or hopeless the numbers have been rising. These, this data is from September of 2020, and Dr. David Palmeter shared this data with me in a podcast interview back in October. 52% of the population is feeling down, depressed, or hopeless at least several days a week. 21% of 
feeling down, depressed, or hopeless more than half the time. And they also have a question on their survey about the frequency of people feeling nervous, anxious, or on edge. 63% of the population feeling that way at least several days a week, and 30% more than half of the time. Now, why would I be sharing this data with you in this masterclass today? Why would I share this information with you? It's normal to have these feelings. It's normal to know that there might be some anxiety or some nervousness or maybe even depression. There's a sense of calm, I think, when people know that they're not alone in this. So as leaders and organizations, we also have to know, number one, we're not immune to this process, but other people are going through this process too. And some of you have probably seen some of the work by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, which is a loss in a grieving model. And we've taken that model and we've modified it a bit and we flipped it up. The usual model is kind of, you might remember it sinks down into sort of a valley of despair and then it ultimately rises up. And we've taken that and flipped it to become more of a mountain. But people go through a normal cycle when it comes to loss or grieving. And there's so much that has changed. And at a minimum, there's there's a lot of perceived loss in the way life was, a lot of real loss in the way life was from so many dimensions at work and, and at home. But the change keeps on coming. People aren't just going through this because of one event. There are multiple events that are happening, not just in the personal side, not just all of the things that I mentioned earlier, but there's the complexity of the business. There's the pace of the business. There's a sense of relentlessness that at least we're hearing from our clients. So yeah, I show the data to to let you know that A, you're not alone, but B, we also have to understand what our people are going through. And they're going through some really challenging times, as you know. Part of what will bridge us, if you will, from where we are today, this combination of this overwhelm and the stress and the anxiety and these mixed emotions that we might be feeling and to some better future state is resilience. And there's some interesting data that came out of the Boston Consulting Group, and they wrote an article about 18 months ago about resilience and not about resilience specifically, but about future downturn. So in 2018, this article talked about the next downturn is likely to be accompanied by very high levels of uncertainty along a number of different dimensions. And in order to perform well in these unpredictable conditions, leaders must build resilience in their businesses. And so there's a lot of really interesting information in that article about how and where and when to build resilience. But part of the bridge from where we are today to that ideal future state is building resilience both within us internally as people, as leaders, as human beings, but also within our organizations. And so let's talk about resilience. What does resilience mean to you? In your chat box, how would you define resilience? You think about resilience, what does it mean to you? Job security for the team, helping them understand Stepping into uncertainty and adversity with courage, adapting to change. The way that we think about resilience is it's really the capacity to face adversity head on and to bounce back stronger. It's it's not just a word. It's the glue that really will help us get us from where we 
are today to where we want to be in the future. But it's really about, to me, not just getting through something, not just kind of plowing through something. It's not just about grit. To us, it's also about coming out of this thing stronger. And if you think about resilience, there's some benefits to resilience, both on the home front as well as in our professional lives. If you had to guess and think about why is resilience at home, what are some of the benefits that we might see from people that have a strong sense of resilience? Here's what we know about resilience from a research standpoint. People with strong or high levels, high capacity for resilience, we see improved learning and academic achievement. We see fewer absences from work and from school reduced risk-taking behaviors, so things that are unhealthy when it comes to coping mechanisms, more involvement in community and with family, and lower rates of, of mortality and increased physical health. And the benefits of higher levels of resilience, we see you know, sort of correlated results. By the way, I'm laughing because my son is over there right now doing jumping jacks or something. He's in gym class. Benefits of resilience at work. Number one, improved learning. And so if you think about all of the things that have happened this year, there's no playbook on how to deal with COVID. Part of what we have to be able to do as leaders is, is learn as we're going, experiment, learn, and then pivot the business. So the improved learning is really critical towards sustainability and, and success in this environment. Lower absenteeism from work due to sickness. Resilient organizations tend to be more inclusive. That diversity becomes a source for innovation. And resilient organizations tend to be better equipped to adopt an agile approach to their work. So there's a lot of benefits here of developing resilience, both personally as well as professionally. I want to make a couple of key points because in our normal workshop environment, we'll spend some time thinking about events or experiences or setbacks that you have worked through already in your life. We've all been through these events, the trauma, the suffering, the unexpected events that come up. And this isn't about ignoring those events, but part of who you are today, part of why you are the person you are is because of those experiences that you've had. And you are a stronger person because of those experiences. We also know that our experience in any, any time there's an unexpected event is influenced by three critical factors. Number one, the duration of the event. Number two, the intensity of the event. And number three, the controllability. So if you think about COVID as one example of an unexpected event, has COVID been longer or shorter than what you originally expected? Yeah, it's been longer. Has it been more intense or less intense than what you may have expected earlier this year? And then controllability, how much control have you had over this COVID environment? A lot of control or little? Yeah. So there's this element of these factors that are also ex influencing our experience. And maybe the most important point about resilience here is that what we found in our work, both with clients anecdotally and through research is that resilient people focus on what they can control. And there's a lot of things that we cannot control in this world today. Just turn on the, on the news. In fact, maybe don't turn on the news to reduce the level of stress. But anytime there is an unexpected event, we can't control the nature of that event. 
we can't control what other people are doing. We can't control the geopolitical environment, but there are a number of things that we can control. And these are the things that resilient people tend to focus on. Number one, what is our focus? What are the words that we use? What do we think about? What do we spend time and energy on? Number two, our beliefs. What's the meaning that we make from an experience? What do we believe about ourselves and others? Number three, we can control how we act. And number four, what we learn. And so that's what we're going to focus on here for the remainder of this masterclass today. And those controllable components are really what make up the four choices of our Resil model. And those four choices are, number one, how will you refocus? When an unexpected event comes up, what is it that you're going to focus on and put your energy toward? Number two, how will you embrace a meaningful and an empowering mindset? Number three, how will you strategize and implement? In other words, what are you going to do? What are the actions that you're going to take? Are they healthy or unhealthy? And number four, how will you learn? So these are the four components of our Resil model and really the, the focus here for the next 20 or 30 minutes of our time together. So the first focus area here, the first choice is how will you refocus? And oftentimes what happens when an unexpected event comes up is our million year old mind takes over, right? And our mind, our brain is geared toward safety. It's geared toward keeping us safe and keeping us away from threat. And so it's not uncommon for us to move toward a fight, flight, or freeze environment. And our brain is trained to help us stay alive and, and be safe. And there's a negativity bias that is an evolutionary function that's sort of built into our system. And the negativity bias says this, the consequences of ignoring positive information are typically less severe compared to the consequences of ignoring negative or threatening information. And so any kind of unexpected event, any kind of change can trigger that threat, that sense of threat, and trigger that negativity bias. And so what happens is we often will distort or exaggerate some information, or we might even avoid some information. And so part of this first step is really about thinking of what are the facts? What are we going to refocus on? What are we going to actually hold as truth? It's easy to exaggerate a situation. It's easy to also at the other end, sugarcoat or avoid a situation. This first step is really about just understanding, coming to grips with what the facts are without the exaggeration, but also without the avoidance. And so take a moment to identify a current challenging situation. I want to, I want you to think about something here that you can use throughout these four choices throughout the rest of our program today. And it could be something on the personal side. It could be dealing with the three kids at home. It could be trying to juggle the homeschooling or supporting an elderly person, or maybe there's a health concern or something else that might be happening in your personal life. It could also be something related to the workplace. Maybe there's an acquisition that you've been through or tough specific situation in the industry, given the economic uncertainty today. What's a current challenging situation that you're going through today? And I want you to reflect on 
three questions. And these three questions, if you're following along in the handouts, are on page three. And the three questions are, what are the actual facts of the situation? Number two, where might you be distorting or exaggerating the current situation? And number three, the opposite, where might you be sugarcoating or avoiding the truth? Number one, what are the facts of the situation? Number two, where might you be distorting or exaggerating the situation? Number three, where are you sugarcoating or avoiding the truth? So I'd love to hear from you. What, what's your tendency when an unexpected event comes up? What do you tend to do? How do you tend to react? What does your tendency tend to be? Do you just see things factually as they are? Have ultra clear objectivity? Or do you tend to distort things and exaggerate? Or do you tend to avoid things? So that's choice number one. Number, How are you going to refocus? Choice number two is highly related to choice number one. Choice number two is really about the mindset, the narrative, the beliefs, the stories that you tell yourself. And it's how will you embrace an empowering mindset? So Jan, to your point, we often have this emotional reaction at first, and then over time, it becomes easier to maybe step back and look at things differently. But there's a theory in psychology called the cognitive appraisal theory. And it simply says, what says this, and I'll tell you what it simply means, interpretations or appraisals of events rather than the events themselves are what cause emotions. And so to me, what that means is two people can have the same exact experience, but have an entirely different meaning or attach an entirely different meaning to that experience. And by the way, that meaning that we attach to any experience is within our control. It's a choice that we make. So a couple of examples. Maybe it's a relationship and two people have just broken up and one person sees that as, as a loss or it happened because of me and somebody else can have a completely different experience. This creates new possibilities or there are new opportunities on the horizon. Maybe something uh, smaller in impact. You send a text to your friend who hasn't res responded to you and you can appraise that event or attach a meaning that the person's mad at you or maybe he or she's doing something that's fun without you. Well, somebody else might look at it completely differently and just give it a different meaning. He's busy or doing something else that's important in his, his or her life. A personal example, my, my seven-year-old son, Eli, who I mentioned earlier is currently in online learning. Well, we started out with online learning and then the kids went back to school for about eight weeks and now they're back to online learning. But that first day of school, when they were going back to in-person learning, it was the morning of, we were getting ready to walk Eli to school. And my wife was explaining what was in his backpack and they had to part of the rules where they had to pack several masks and she was showing him how to use the mask. And I was looking at him and I could not help but to notice this sense of overwhelming sadness that came over me. As I was looking at my seven-year-old son who now has to wear this mask as he's going to school. And as I looked at him a little bit more closely, I couldn't help to notice just this huge smile that was on his face. This smile, this beaming flame of joy. He just couldn't wait to get back to school. Here we are having the same exact experience, attaching two totally and completely different meanings to the same experience. And so the bottom line is this, 
Choice number two is really about the meaning that you decide, that we decide to attach to an experience. Now, it doesn't mean that the experience that you've had or that you're having isn't traumatic or hasn't caused a lot of pain or suffering, but we get to choose how we decide what that experience means to us. And what we find is that highly resilient people tend to choose a meaning or an experience that is empowering and enables them to get through that unexpected event. And I think, you know, this speaks back to some of what you all have brought up, which is oftentimes what happens is an event happens, some unexpected experience, event, challenge, setback, and we have this automatic thought. And when that automatic thought goes unchecked, we can have a reaction. So there's a distinction here between reacting and responding. And if we just have a reaction, oftentimes that reaction can be destructive. It can be destructive to ourselves. It can be destructive to a relationship or to a conversation that we might be having with somebody else. But when we challenge that automatic thought, we can create a response. And this is directly from cognitive behavioral therapy. I know many of you have probably seen this, which is we have an event and then there's an automatic thought. And remember, our mind is geared towards survival. The concept of having automatic thoughts happens to all of us. Those thoughts are not your thoughts. The mind is just the mind. It's not even your mind. Most of the time, that narrative, that story that plays in our minds, none of those thoughts are original. They're just automatic. And so we can change that reaction to a response when we challenge the automatic thought. And we can challenge the automatic thought through some questions. Number one, is that thought true? Number two, how might I be exaggerating that thought? And number three is the reset or the reframe question, which is how can I see it differently? Now, I think it also helps to change your physiology when you see that or hear that thought come across, that narrative, move your body, make a radical movement, take a walk, ask yourself these questions. Is it true? How am I exaggerating? And how can I reframe it? How can I see this experience differently? When we do that, we can help change the meaning of what we're experiencing. Choice number one is really, how are you going to refocus? Choice number two is, what's the empowering meaning that you're going to give to the experience that you're going through? We're, again, we're not avoiding or trying to ignore the pain or the trauma or the suffering, but what's the meaning that you're going to attach to whatever it is that you're going through, whether it's feedback at work or something maybe more traumatic in your personal life. Question number three or choice number three is, how will you strategize and implement? And really this is about action. And what I've found with so many leaders, we just ran a similar workshop like this yesterday with about 65 people. And this was the choice that was easiest for them. And we just find that people are so action oriented in the workplace, especially high performing leaders. And so people will oftentimes just move to action as opposed to thinking about their mindsets and their beliefs. But how will you strategize and implement? So in your handouts, we've got a number of strategies. This is a tool that we created just to help you think about what are some of the patterns you're noticing in your own behavior. So there's three circles here to look at. Let me orient you for a moment. In the middle 
are really the four elements or the four choices of the Resil model. What are you focusing on? What's your mindset? What are the actions you'll take? And what will you learn? And then in the blue circle, there are some healthy strategies for coping with an unexpected event. So for example, some of you mentioned this, focusing on facts or maybe looking for what's right instead of always looking for what's wrong, having an intentional response, or maybe in the mindset area, interpreting self or interrupting self-defeating patterns or optimism or gratitude or strategizing and taking experiments and self-awareness. These are all very healthy ways of dealing with an unexpected event. And then in the red circle, in the outer circle, are unhealthy coping mechanisms, the rumination, the negativity, looking for what's wrong all the time, blame, social withdrawal. We heard about ignoring things and avoiding situations. So there's this element of unhealthy coping mechanisms that we might find ourselves partaking in. Now, if you go back to the research that I mentioned earlier about resilient people, and even some of the information that was in that Boston Consulting Group article, people that are higher have higher levels of capacity and, and resilient skills, they tend to use healthier coping mechanisms as they're going through any challenge, whether it's something you're rebuilding in your house or responding to feedback or something in your personal life. So back to the challenge that you've been considering in your own life, my question for you is, what healthy coping strategies are you using or maybe have you used? And then what pushes you from using healthy coping strategies to unhealthy coping strategies? The fourth choice is really about how will you learn? So choice number one was, what are you going to refocus on? The facts versus the avoidance, the facts versus the distortion. Choice number two was, what's the empowering mindset that you're going to really make a choice around? Removing the narratives and the automatic thoughts that are disempowering, but that aren't even your thoughts. Choice number three was, what are the healthy choices that you're going to make versus the unhealthy? What are those actions that you're going to take? Choice number four is, what are you going to learn? I think this is a, a really important choice. And in many ways, what we found is that people tend to be more fulfilled in life when they see themselves progressing, when they see some evolution and growth that's happening in their life. When that's absent, that's when we see lower levels of engagement, lower levels of fulfillment. We see more attrition. We see more turnover and we see less productivity. So how will you learn? And if we, if we see life as happening for us as opposed to to us, we're much more likely to evolve and grow and learn from any given experience and setback. This is a tool that we use. It's called the after action assessment model. Very simple tool that you can use at any point in time to really inspire and, and develop some learning from any experience, whether it's in the middle of a meeting or at the end of some milestone in the workplace or maybe a project that your team completed. And it's a model that was originally developed by the U.S. military to debrief missions. It's four simple questions. And by the way, these are great coaching questions. The first two questions we spend 30% of our time on, what did we intend to do? 
and what actually happened. These are important questions to pull apart because the gap between what we intended to do and what's actually happening is where the learning comes from. So those are the first two questions. The second two questions in this model is what did you learn and what's next? And so we spend 70% of our time thinking about this. I found that software developers that follow agile methodologies and lean methodologies tend to be really good at this. What you intend to do, what actually happened, where's the gap? What did you learn and what's next? So that is the fourth choice in the model. Number one, what are you going to refocus on? Number two, what's the meaning you're going to give to the event? Number three, what actions will you take? How are you going to strategize and implement? Number four, how will you learn throughout that experience? So I want to invite you to participate in one quick event. Let's see if we can pull this together. And to do that, I'd ask everybody to stand up wherever you are, unless you're driving a car, just take a moment and stand up. And as you stand up, I want you to think about that challenging event or that challenging experience that you thought about and used for each of these four questions and these four choices. Now, turn to your right. Your right represents the future. It represents where we are headed. Imagine looking out three months, six months, 12 months from now. Take a step forward. That forward step represents three months. It represents four months, five months from now. Take another step forward, either physically or metaphorically here. You're now six months into the future and one final step forward. You're now 12 months into the future. And now I want you to turn around and look back on the path that you've just walked. Look back on the three and the six and the nine months, the place where you've come from, and to imagine that you have stepped into your ideal self. You've made the choices that resilient people make. You've decided to refocus on the facts without the exaggeration or the avoidance. You've decided to give your experience a meaningful and empowering reason for being and belief. And you've decided to take healthy actions and steps to move forward. And finally, you've decided that this experience is happening for you and not to you. And you are learning and growing and evolving as a human being. And with that in mind, Take a moment to think about one action that you're going to take as a result of that ideal self and that empowering future. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast. You can get session notes on our website at 512solutions.com. That's the numbers 512solutions.com. Please follow and like the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're tuning in. And if you want to learn more about how we can help transform your people into confident and action-oriented leaders, please check out our website at 512solutions.com. I look forward to continuing the conversation about the future of leadership. I'm out.